0: This is another in the Anarchism 101 series, which introduces you to great texts in anarchism and their writers. This is a very special one. Today's episode is my discussion of a chapter from Hind Swaraj by Mohandas Gandhi with K.P. Shankaran. And he makes the case that Gandhi, not Kropotkin, not Proudhon, not Bakunin, not Goldman is the greatest, the most ethical, the most clear expression of anarchism. And he has convinced me. I didn't know Gandhi was an anarchist a year ago. Now I think the heart of anarchism is Gandhi's nonviolence. I think you will find this one eye-opening. Please enjoy After the Music. Hello, welcome back to Everyday Anarchism. This is in the series Anarchism 101, where we are uh, discussing important anarchist thinkers. And this is a very interesting and exciting one for me today because we are working with uh, Mohandas Gandhi, in my opinion, one of the greatest anarchist thinkers of all time, not always thought of as an anarchist and not always well understood outside of, of India or perhaps even inside of India. I will let my guest... Tell us that. So, uh, please, Kipi Shankar, and uh, t- tell us who you are, and then we can get started with uh, with this discussion of Gandhi.
1: Uh, I was teaching. I was a teacher of philosophy. Was teaching in one of the colleges in Delhi, and uh, uh, I got interested in Gandhi while I was teaching philosophy. I got interested in Gandhi. Now, uh, I found Gandhi was actually a philosopher rather than uh, an activist, political activist. He wasn't a political activist, but he was too a philosopher. And I thought that he was one of the rare philosophers, belongs to a small group of philosophers like Buddha and Socrates. See, these philosophers were practicing ethics-led philosophical way of life, rather than metaphysics-led philosophical way of life. And Gandhi belongs to that stream, and they're very rare. Uh,
0: yeah, that's that's a wonderful point to to begin with. The for for the people we've been looking at in this series, um, they are all activists and they are all philosophers and they all try and and interweave them. But it's very rare to find someone who actually achieves that. The the person for me. So my my PhD is in American culture, and for me, it's Martin Luther King who is remembered in America as an activist and is almost not read. People do not read his works. They study his activism, but not his philosophy, but he too was a philosopher and of course was deeply, I'm jumping ahead now, but was deeply influenced by Gandhi.
1: Yeah, that's true that in India also, that's very recently now people are starting, as people are considering him as a philosopher, uh, an American uh, analytic philosopher. Uh, from Colombia, uh, Akhil Bilgrami. He wrote in, ten or fifteen years ago. He wrote an essay, Gandhi as a philosopher. Uh, that essay clicked, and uh, now large number of people are willing to see him as a philosopher. And Gandhi, in fact, my reading was Gandhi, in fact, a philosopher. When you are looking, when you are, when you are, when you are considering, uh, uh, Hinsaraj, Hinsaraj has a substantial philosophical background. Yeah, yeah. I consider it's an anarchist manifesto, pacifist anarchist manifesto. It is actually Gandhi, according to me, is a conceived Hinsaraj uh, from within ethical framework, ethical framework of uh, 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 nonviolence, Uh, truthfulness, and concern for the well-being of all, and uh, non-possession. These are four ethical principles within which he conceived this uh, anarchist uh, manifesto, uh, Hinsaraj. Okay, wonderful.
0: Before we get into the text, I want to spend most of uh, my time with the philosophy, but when people think, you know, Hinsuraj is translated usually as Indian home rule. And when we think at least about Gandhi in the West, we would think of the the parliamentary state that exists in India as a state that he, um, you know, is in some ways the founder of. Reading Hinsuraj, it does not sound like that at all. So b- before we get into what he means by Indian home rule, I thought you could just briefly tell us, and I can jump in as well, what uh, what the rule system, what the rule was in India at the time, because it was run by the British, and it was precisely a, 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 a British system, but it was a centralized system that Gandhi, I think, did not want to replace with a system that was a similar thing, just run by the Indians, if that is, if I'm correct.
1: Gandhi was very critical of uh, British system. Gandhi was very critical of British system. And one possibility is that Gandhi, it was very difficult for many people to understand Gandhi. The reason for that, Gandhi was not using the Enlightenment vocabulary, the European Enlightenment vocabulary. He completely rejected European Enlightenment vocabulary. When you read Saraj, it is not written from the point of view of European enlightenment and uh, his readers, like us, are extremely Eurocentric. See now, from a Eurocentric point of view, Gandhi is very difficult to understand. And that's uh, one of the reasons people like Nehru, even though he was uh, his follower, he just couldn't understand him. So their understanding of the world is from the European point of view. And they accepted European, European state as the basic unit, and European uh, British uh, uh, bureaucracy as essential, and which Gandhi actually rejected. But that rejection, Nehru and others, did not take it seriously. So in the end of it, Gandhi's ideas are completely marginalized, and uh, India became a Europeanized state and uh, a, a bureaucracy which is also inherited from british that's how india exists now
0: okay if if the listeners take nothing else away from this episode i think i think we have done our jobs if people understand that the india that exists today is precisely this european enlightenment state bureaucracy railroad a uh, massive centralized industry and, and a parliament on top all of it with federal sovereignty that is that, that is not home rule in any way that's in right. the sense that in the sense that gandhi meant wonderful yeah
1: yeah that's true that is that from gandhi's point of view that is not home rule saraj according to gandhi saraj means uh, he says actually i'm quoting him we don't want the tyranny of the British rule or Indian rule. So that is Gandhi's own statement. That is his anarchist, I consider that is anarchist declaration in Hinsaraj. So Gandhi not only opposed British rule, he doesn't want to have anything like British rule. And also he considered European... Uh, the 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 capitalist civilization as satanic he called it satanic and he advised Indians not to accept anything from the satanic civilization he rejected it and also that uh, uh, Gandhi consider parliamentary system is part of the the rep, uh, the representative parliamentary system democracy parliamentary democracy is uh is part of this uh, satanic civilization. So he wanted to have a direct democracy instead of the the, uh, parliamentary democracy system. So, but uh, uh, after independence, all that has been rejected and they have taken up the British understanding of the world and introduced parliamentary system. Now, India is in deep trouble because of
0: I think the parallels again to Martin Luther King are amazing, although it's not surprising because Gandhi was one of the primary people that King modeled himself on, but uh, King called America the American political system a burning building. He did not want simply integration of African-Americans into it. He thought that the same way this, this form of capitalist political quote democracy was undemocratic and would lead people away from the from the spiritual truths of the lives they they were living. Before we go further in Hinsaraj, I thought you could briefly tell us uh, about Gandhi's time in South Africa and how he came to write Hinsaraj. So, what was what what led him up to this point?
1: Yeah, Gandhi 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 started his career and uh, uh, he went to England you know that he went to England, he was in England for three years and he studied law and he became a barrister. and he came back to India. He, was, he, was, he couldn't become a successful lawyer. Fortunately for him, uh, somebody from South Africa, a Muslim uh, figure, invited him, he went to South Africa and he lived in South Africa for 21 years. These 21 years really altered Gandhi. Gandhi is really altered in South Africa. And he became uh, he became an anarchist while he was in South Africa. Before he came to India, he came to India in 1915. Before that, 19, 1909, he wrote this text. And he wrote this text in Tolstoy's Tolstoy farm. And he wrote that initially in Gujarati. And this only book he translated he himself translated to English and sent a copy of this to Tolstoy. And Tolstoy read that and approved it. And he had already read Tolstoy's uh, Kingdom of the Heaven. I forget the we, title now.
0: The translation we have is the kingdom of God is within you.
1: Yeah, he had read that and actually thought very highly of it. And partially, he's partially, only partially, his See, Gandhi was not a, not a technically a religious person. Normally, people believe Gandhi was a religious person. That is because his vocabulary was religious vocabulary of the Vaishnava tradition. That is because he rejected enlightenment, European Enlightenment vocabulary. So he had to fall back to his parental vocabulary. So that vocabulary was a religious vocabulary. And Gandhi he was constantly trying to metaphorize that lo- vocabulary for political purposes. So he tend to use the words like Ram Raj. Uh, when you meet Hindus, he used, to, he used this expression Ram Raj. That's a very, very uh, Hindu uh, expression. But he ha- he met, when he met Muslims, he used the Muslim phrase, that is Kudaraj when he met Christians, he used the Christian phrase to express the ideal society he was looking for. So Gandhi was not religious in any traditional sense. And uh, and uh, his vocabulary, because religious, because he rejected the Enlightenment vocabulary. And uh, he, see, for example, uh, Tolstoy's anarchism is a uh, is Christian anarchism. Tolstoy was a Christian anarchist. Tolstoy was not a a political anarchist. Gandhi was a political anarchist. Gandhi was not a religious anarchist. So this is a very important thing when you are talking about, when you are talking about, when we are talking about Gandhi's anarchism. It's a political anarchism. And from my point of view, if you look at Hinsharaj, Gandhi was the most... uh, comprehensive and, uh, and uh, authentic anarchist. Mo- not Bakunin, not uh, Malakista, not Emma uh, Goldman, not uh, 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 Kropotkin. They are all use violence. Anarchists are not supposed to use violence at all. They have a connection between, they accept this idea that there is a strong relation, intimate relation between means and end and therefore a uh, genuine anarchist political anarchist it's impossible to use violence because they are looking for a non hierarchical society so non hierarchical society according to all of them including gandhi can be produced only by using non violence as their practice so gandhi gandhi's uh, south african experiment Largely on using non-violent praxis against a very brutal government, but still he hadn't conceived before before uh, Hinsuraj conceived the idea of a non-violent society. That appears partially in uh, in uh, Hinsuraj.
0: This is. This is unbelievable stuff. So I think you're absolutely right that um, for anarchism to truly become true to itself and to truly unite means and ends, it has to be nonviolent. I think you're also right that uh, while Tolstoy recognizes this, he also refuses to take part in the kind of political engagement that is necessary. and. I'm I'm persuaded. I mean, it makes sense to me that Hinsaraj is the the first and best expression of anarchism. That is the one that that is still our legacy. That because because of the integration of nonviolence and what he calls soul force, and I understand now he's using this religious vocabulary, because that is a, that is a source of communication and a source of metaphor and a source of power. But un, unlike Tolstoy, I mean, Tolstoy never wrote anything like Hin Suraj that laid out a vision for a society. And uh, listeners, uh, hopefully you've listened to the excerpt that I've read. I, I recommend you read the whole thing. Hind Suraj is a, is a truly powerful work and it's uh, more or less unknown in the, in the English, uh, western english language tradition as far as as far as i know i mean i don't see anyone reading it or talking about it
1: yeah yeah gandhi gandhi that that's what i said at the beginning gandhi conceived hinsaraj from within a ethical uh, ethical framework see very normally people think about uh, marx for example marx's communist manifesto Feminist manifesto is not taught from within an ethical framework, even though he uses ethical critique of capitalism. But it's not the whole thing is not conceived from within an ethical framework. Whereas Hinsaraj is extremely critical of, uh, of uh, uh, capitalism, but conceived from within an ethical framework. Are they everything? there is charged with ethical ideas and uh, from the beginning itself what is uh, what is suraj he says that it is not uh, a british model state it's a stateless society and uh, that is very clear in Hind suraj is very clear he didn't expand that but he said that it is not the state the society the, the, the government Britain, Britain conceived and we should not appropriate it. And then he goes on showing that everything related to capitalism is satanic. So why he was saying that Gandhi had a distinction between necessary violence and unnecessary violence. He was not absolutely Non, a, absolute non-violence was not part of Gandhi's philosophical system. It like Buddha. Buddha was not also not absolutely non-violent. Gandhi was also. Gandhi thought was any society uh, there will be some necessary violence exists, and human being cannot exist without some kind of a necessary violence. But his objection to state was state was the paradigm of unnecessary violence. So his objection to state, because state was the the paradigm of this kind of unnecessary violence, therefore state should be rejected. But you cannot reject state using violence. So that is where Gandhi is different from Bakunin, Malati, all of them. So, Gandhi, in that sense, is a, is a different case altogether. Most consistent anarchist ever. Yeah, so I agree. Now, uh, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it, that's it. And, and also, there are many other things in Hinsuraj. One thing is a very, very sharp projection of uh, uh, techno-science. See, there is a reason for that. When you look for Gandhi's whole life, you realize that techno science and state are interrelated you cannot have techno science without a powerful state so if, if if there is no powerful state the techno science will get it will disappear and techno science is the most violent organ of a state this is one particular reason why Gandhi accepted ethics as most fundamental, not metaphysics. Gandhi did not reject metaphysics, but metaphysics became secondary to Gandhi and ethics became primary, like in Buddha and in the case of Socrates. For Socrates also, ethics became primary. But in Plato, metaphysics is primary, not ethics. And Buddha, metaphysics became less significant and it is became primary. And this you can see from one sentence of Gandhi. The Gandhi in 1929 made a, a statement. He used to say that God is truth. That metaphor changed into truth is God. So Gandhi was in fact shifting from metaphysics to ethical ethical foundation. So everything became founded in ethics so part of gandhi's project when he came to india from south africa not just uh, chasing british away by non violent movement he wanted to conceive he wanted to produce the background for a for a non hierarchical societies not one society societies and also wanted to get hinduism founded in grounded in Ethics, not metaphysics. So, this he got in 1907 from an American writer called uh, Slater. He wrote a book called uh, Ethical Religion. Gandhi translated that into uh, Gujarati. And it's a free translation where he, he said all religion should be founded on ethics. So, metaphysics will become secondary. So, the whole the thesis of Gandhi is based on that. Where there is metaphysics, you accept metaphysics, you tend to accept state and also techno-science. And you believe that techno-science will give us an understanding of the truth, metaphysical truth. Gandhi rejected that. One of the important points. That, that actually comes in Hinsuraj. Uh, uh,
0: I just wanted to make the point that um, Proudhon, uh, Bakunin, and Kropotkin, they were certainly all interested in ethics, but they all started with metaphysics. Science um, becomes almost a religion with them. And they have this very tricky thing where they try and argue that like science is a religion, but it's in some ways a relativistic and unknowable religion, but nevertheless behind their ethics why is this metaphysical conception? And uh, I, G- Gandhi doesn't, Gandhi does not start with this metaphysical conception. I guess the, this was one of the questions I, I wrote, one of the easy Western misconceptions, I guess, and you've already addressed this to a certain extent, is that Gandhi has Hindu metaphysics and that, you know, lies behind all of that. I think George Orwell criticizes him for being a, you know, an, an Indian chauvinist or a Hindu chauvinist, which, which I agree is not true, but if you could just respond to that.
1: That, that possibility is because of his language. That, I said that he constantly used religious language because he, he couldn't have any other language because the, the language everybody was using in a colonial space was European enlightenment language. That was the language of Jawaharlal Nehru. That was the language of all uh, Gandhi's uh, uh, colleagues. But Gandhi's language was different. So Gandhi did not have an option to take any other language other than his parents' parental vocabulary. That vocabulary was a religious vocabulary. So he used that and then trying to metaphorize it. And to some extent, he metaphorized. He metaphorized some parts of it. But the other thing is that uh, Gandhi was more influenced not by Hindus. Gandhi was not a Hindu. In the He never went to a temple. He never worshipped. He did not have any idols around him. He never practiced anything which you call Hindu. Hinduism. But He was not completely rejecting metaphysics. Metaphysics became secondary to him and ethics became primary. So he did not reject the idea of God. So that metaphysical idea he kept, he did not reject that like Bakunin. Bakunin rejected it. Gandhi did not reject that. Gandhi retained it, but it had only a secondary significance. The primary significance was ethics. So, any any contact with Gandhi, as long as Gandhi can see that your, your position is ethical, Gandhi will accept you. You don't have to believe in God. But you should function from within ethical framework. So, Gandhi wanted all his colleagues to function from within ethical framework. Which he couldn't make. Which you, uh, that is one of the reasons his colleague couldn't understand him. And others also they find uh, Swaraj also difficult to understand because of this. They believe that that also contains a load of uh, load of religion. There is nothing there.
0: Okay, okay. Um, great. So let's. I, I do want to ask you about the Gita because I know Gandhi spoke of that. Many times, and it seems to me that that's one of the key sources of his of his ethical vocabulary. So, could you tell us a bit about
1: that connection? See, Gandhi's is very interesting. Gandhi was one of the extreme critique of Gita. Gandhi a very Gandhi's case. Gandhi's relationship in uh, uh, Gita is very interesting. And before nineteen twenty nine, he I think that two years before nineteen twenty nine. He gave a series of long lectures, nearly one year long uh, 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 discourses on Gita in his ashram. He picked up each sloga verse and analyzed it, and uh, his interpretation then was more or less traditional interpretation, more or less traditional interpretation. But within two years. His position changed. His position changed dramatically. He uh, he didn't reject the earlier one. What he did that he produced a new translation for Gita, that's a literal translation of Gita, no long uh, uh, interpretations, but he produced some ten page long introduction to Gita called Anasakti Yoga. That's the title of the introduction. That may be 10-15 pages. That's one of the outstanding ethical theses you can ever think of. I myself consider that is as good as Aristotle's ethics. It's only 10-15 pages. Within that 10-15 pages, Gandhi criticized Gita thoroughly. And he said things like this the main character of gita that is krishna he said is not a divinity he is a product of the writers imagination normally people who are reading gita that introduction won't see that and he said that the belief in god is not going to make you a good person unless you practice Truthfulness and nonviolence. There is no point in you muttering, chanting uh, stogas. That is not going to help you. And he said, uh, uh, Krishna, the main character, is not a divinity; is a product of an author's imagination. Then he criticizes the author using war imaginary, imagery. War imagery, he said, that is wrong in Gita's context, then he adopted, uh, reinterpreted an idea in Gita that is called Nishkama Karma or uh, Anasakti. That is, you act without any desires of uh, the fruits of action. The result of action you should not desire, but you act. But then that act should not be a violent act. Because Gandhi is conceiving the all acts from within ethics. So, Gandhi's point of view, Gita's use of war was unethical. So that is the whole, and he he that's an ethical critique, ethical critique of Gita by while he is accepting the idea of action without looking for any. Fruits of action. So Gandhi was not a, not a, 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 a blind follower or blind believer of uh, user of Gita. He is one of the outstanding, one of the outstanding internal criticism of Hinduism from within. He gave a fantastic internal criticism from within Hinduism and criticized Gita. So uh, we should not uh, ma- connect Gandhi with Gita in an ordinary sense of the connection. La people he is a believer in Gita, believer in God. He believer, he accepted Gita blindly. No, Gandhi did not do that.
0: You you are uh, overturning most of what I understood about Gandhi, and I must say it's 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 thrilling. Um, and and you're making sense of Gandhi in a way that he. I feel like does does not make sense without these without these un, understandings. How this anarchist could be the father of India um, as a Hindu nation state? It doesn't make sense. I mean, what, and no, we're he, he, he thought, and we're learning that.
1: And he never thought that he would become father of Indian state. Somebody <laughs> called him father of Indian state after his death.
0: Yeah, he amazing. Have,
1: he, he did not. When Indian flag was hoisted. Gandhi, Indian government, was willing to send a plane to Kolkata and get him to Delhi. He did not go to Delhi. He did not salute the Indian flag. Gandhi is the father of nation, did not salute Indian flag. And in constructive program, he has a small small booklet called constructive program. That's an anarchist program. In the constructive program, he says that Indian flag, Indian national anthem, you should not impose on anybody. Go it ahead. seems
0: to me that the Indian nation state, which it, it, I, I understand, it doesn't surprise me the, the rise of Hindu nationalism in India over the past years, because that seems to me the, uh, the that's what nation states do. When you create a government and define only a certain kind of person as deserving of sovereignty, you're going to get that form of nationalism. So it sounds like Gandhi wouldn't have been surprised by this. It also sounds like Gandhi, it sounds like India as it exists is more or less precisely the opposite of, of Gandhi's vision. Is that right?
1: That's true. Now the Indian state, see Gandhi said that you should not, Gandhi said that there should not be a state. So there should be a small, small anarchist enclaves. That were what you call villages. Those are self-sufficient anarchist communes. These anarchist communes, he never said that state should be uh, removed. He did not say that. He said that you can have small anarchist communist communities within Indian state. And once its communities slowly become matured, the Indian state will finally wither away. So You should not directly attack Indian state. Instead of that, you generate these communities. And Gandhi's uh, constructive program was to generate these small communities, self-sufficient communities, uh, self-ruling communities without a central government and uh, uh, without a central institution. And Gandhi's uh, conceived uh, uh, communes They never had police or uh, some power which is guarding it. All that you can use is Satyagraha against. If there is a violation, you can use Satyagraha against that violator. So, that is how Gandhi conceived India. It's a complex of small, small communes, self-sufficient communes. They look after themselves and their functions within the framework of ethics. See, this is what normally means that the ethics of framework, the framework of ethics within which communities function. If you don't have ethics of that framework of ethics, what you have is a material self-interest framework within which state functions state functions within materialist self-interest and individuals also function within uh, uh, material self-interest. So, that is why we have capitalism. Capitalism is the model of materialist self-interest. Gandhi just opposite of that. So, Gandhi's main criticism of of, uh, capitalism, is not a historical critique in the sense Marxist. It was purely moral critique. That moral critique says that it functions outside ethics and therefore it is satanic and advising Indians in Hinsaraj not to accept the satanic civilization, which is capitalism.
0: Excellent. And then in in, in this reading... Marxist communism and even some of the anarchist communists while they are interested in ethics they often start with the material world and especially material goods and they're sort of the first claim in someone like Kropotkin is actually we can meet your material needs there are enough bread and this is accepting the sort of uh, that 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 the terrain to be fought over is the terrain of the material world, as opposed to the ethical world. And then Kropotkin's ethics come after the material world. And you're telling me for Gandhi that's not the case? And you
1: For Gandhi, Gandhi, the one of the uh, very interesting about Gandhi's uh, constructive program, which is a, which I consider is an anarchist program. Gandhi also thought was an anarchist program that. Uh, the the program is to generate freedoms. Development means freedoms. Development of freedoms rather than economic development. If you have freedom to have reasonably good water, you have freedom to eat enough food. Enough food, not much, enough food. And freedom to breathe good air. Freedom to freedom to uh, cure curable diseases and freedom from patriarchy. Gandhi has a section on women. Women should be treated, men and women should be treated, each other as uh, colleagues. And uh, they, are, they are same. There, is no, there can't be any difference at all. So, Gandhi's anarchism contains within that because of the moral uh, space, the men and women, there is no hierarchy at all. There is no hierarchy at all. But the 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 uh, way of generating it, how to generate it is an issue after Gandhi's death. While, while he was fighting against British in India, he was building a very substantial number of satyagrahis, that is the uh, uh, the uh, uh, nonviolent resistors. Those uh, nonviolent uh, group are supposed to try to create this model anarchist uh, villages, and uh, uh, he thought that. Uh, when India became a uh, uh, b- uh, uh, state, these, these uh, villages could be uh, the force which can stop uh, the power of that state. And uh, after Gandhi's death, actually Vinobha, a follower of Gandhi, he took up this issue and uh, there was a uh, 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 land... Uh, uh, Land, uh, trying to get uh, this called uh, Bhutan Movement. Bhutan Movement Boudin movement is a non-violent uh, revolution. Now Ostergaard is the theoretician and historian of this movement. This movement actually started after Gandhi's death 1961 19, uh, 19, uh, uh, I think uh, 10 years. He tried to, Vinoba you know, and his group tried to went, uh, walk around and requested people to donate land. And uh, people donated land. Many people donated land. And the land, the quantity they received, 1 million, uh, 1.9 million hectares of land. You have to understand that 1960s or in India is desperately poor. And uh, rich is a small group. But they managed to; these guys managed to get 1.9 million hectares, and half. And they gave that to government to distribute. Government distributed half of it. The other half, no one knows anything about it. Uh, So uh, that movement failed. That movement failed after uh, ten years. See, that uh, quite a quite a large amount of uh, land they managed to get and a similar kind of movement happened in, in sri lanka too sri lanka uh, the Gandhian movement which uh, uh, started by a school teacher and they managed to get 15000 villagers and they tried to empower those villagers and make it self sufficient that movement also happened after gandhi's death then there was there is in india there is a trade union uh, which is called uh, Self-Employed Women's Association. Self-Employed Women's Association is a trade union movement which is based on Gandhian principles and that they don't have in a particular place. Before this COVID and the war in Yemen, there's a war in Yemen between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. And uh, before that, this organization had a Uh, branch in Yemen. And uh, they also had many branches in African countries. Also had a branch in Turkey. And these function as Gandhi's uh, anarchist uh, uh, villages. They are a particular place. And they are only women and they are self-sufficient. They look after themselves. They earn the money and they bypass the state. See, bypassing the state and looking after themselves is one of the, uh, the techniques Gandhi given to these people. You don't have to depend upon state. State is a violent organ. So you can exist within the state without a place. You can float around and you can function there in a, a hierarchical way. So, all these things happen. And uh, most of these uh, dissident movements all over the world are uh, affected by Gandhi's nonviolent violent uh, appeal. So he, actually, these, uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, uh, Balibar. Atin Balibar, mm-hmm. Balibar uh, wrote uh, 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 reading marks with Arthusa. Althussar, fair, okay. Althussar, Althussar and uh, 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 Balibar. Balibar said that, Balibar wrote a fantastic essay uh, some 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It's called Lenin and Gandhi.
0: Hmm.
1: And Lenin and Gandhi, he said that Lenin's time is over. Balibar is a Marxist, French Marxist, and, but, he, but, but French uh, Marxist party threw him out because he criticized French Marxist party. And Balibar said that Lenin's time is over and uh, Gandhi's time is up. And we have to experiment with Gandhi's method. And he said, most of the contemporary uh, dissident movements are all affected by Gandhi's methods. Gandhi's methods, and also there is a touch of uh, anarchism in all these uh, groupings, there is no hierarchy, there is no particular leader. It's uh, 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 that, kind of a, that kind of a Gandhian uh, movement. So, that is, uh, that is the significance of Gandhi as an anarchist. But he has a lot of other things like uh, he was a critic of Hinduism. He was also a political worker against government uh, uh, colonialism. And also, he was the man who really understood the nature of colonialism. See, now he called that satanic. See, that's, that a, a phrase, satanic civilization, is significant in the sense that it's literally satanic. In the sense that Europe became rich only because of colonization. No country now can become rich, as rich as Europe and America. China, you look at China, China is exploited Chinese workers to the hilt, but it, it became big enough. But it didn't become an uh, upper.
0: Yeah, China is nowhere near uh, achieving the higher income yeah, per the GDP. Income, that,
1: upper, upper yes. But the so middle income, in the middle income, they are upper, upper position, but it couldn't cross. It couldn't cross. It's It's almost impossible to cross. Only South Korea did that. Japan did it. Japan did it with uh, American help and things like the Korean War, American help, and uh, South Korea, small state, and also because of dictatorship, huge dictatorship, 10 years within which they achieved, but a small state. But Europe and America achieved this uh, economic uh, flowering because of uh, uh, colonization. Without colonies, you cannot become rich. That is why Gandhi called that is a satanic civilization. You are uh, enjoying the fruits of the sins you committed.
0: Yeah, I think I think this insight is is probably more important in this moment than it ever has been before. Especially when you look at, I, I appreciate greatly that you brought up this idea of the higher income countries. So this this UN idea of quote development developed nations, which means high income, and then the the idea in in the in the UN in this community is that India and China and Kenya and Argentina and all of these countries shall reach this, you know, this promised land of high income. And you're absolutely right. All of those high income countries reached it through, through colonialism.
1: They cannot, they cannot, they cannot cannot only, see now what are the criminality of these uh, European countries, particularly look at Britain. Now we have enough information about what happened to Kenya. Kenya they massacred nearly ninety thousand people. There were gulags in Kenya, the British gulags in Kenya, and they exploited the people, and uh, uh, the resources are taken away. And India too. This is an interesting fact about India: when the uh, uh, the the the, uh, the uh, Mughal state collapsed in the beginning of 1700, it became small states around. And that's the time the the, uh, East India Company took over, parts of it. And before East India Company taking over in 1757, India's uh, industrial output was 25% of the global output. Which is substantial. In Beginning of 20th century, it became 2%. 2% during the 20th century. So what was happening, the British Raj was simply exploiting the, work, work, uh, the workforce and also siphoning out its resources and its wealth. And the country has become pulverizing it, literally pulverized it. And they using they use the enlightenment vocabulary for the justification of that injustice.
0: Yes, and uh, speaking of Lenin, um, I mean the Soviet Union increased its uh, increased its mechanical industrial development, but it's the same thing. It was this enlightenment vocabulary of progress, of growth, of development, and the result was misery, poverty. Injustice. And the idea that um, the idea that Gandhi's critique of this is not just valid, but more valid than ever before, I think is absolutely right. And it's clearly part of our uh, part of the work we need to do is to recover his his constructive program. From, uh, from whatever it has been shrouded in, whether that is Hindu nationalism or simply uh, a lack of awareness of him as a political yeah. and ethical thinker.
1: Yes, that's true. That's true. There is an interesting, there is an interesting uh, uh, chapter in Hinsaraj where he was talking about uh, Hindus and Muslims. Uh, Hindus and Muslims. There he has a one-line, uh, one-line uh, uh, definition of nationalism. He says that uh, nationalism, we are are all, we are are one nation because we are all from the early group of same uh, uh, great-great-great-fathers, mothers. We are same from the same stock of human beings. We are all descended. So we are one nation because of our ancestral connection. So he generated an idea of ancestral nationalism. Our ancestors were same. Therefore, we are one nation. Not because of your territory, not because of your language, not because of your religion, because our ancestors were same people. Therefore, we are one nation. And also, he has an idea of patriotism, where he was talking about uh, Italy and India. He says, patriotism is actually working for, a patriot is one who works for the local community and get the approval of the local community. Anyone who is working for the local community is a patriot. So all these are part of that small book. And also his idea of education, which is also very important, I thought. He said that there is no point in learning uh, uh, reading and writing unless the child is already ethically oriented. So ethical orientation presupposes learning. Without ethical orientation, learning would become satanic. Which is which is I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with the idea that only with an ethical framework we can lead our civilized life. And if you remove the ethics and our self-interest and material interest take over, takes over, take over, then we become, according to Gandhi, satanic. That's what mm-hmm. we see now in uh, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. What you, that what you see in UK. Look at look at the way democracy degenerated in India. India is degenerated horribly. India has become now a Hindu state. India is multicultural. India was India is literally multicultural, but now India has become a Hindu state because of parliamentary democracy. Because after 70 years, the uh, Hindu majority become powerful enough to get elected every five years and now ruling it. So it is a majority in democracy and therefore the whole idea of democracy is uh, failed in India. And the same thing happened in Pakistan, same thing happened in Sri Lanka, what is, ha- what is happening in Sri Lanka now. The failure of this democracy, parliamentary democracy, Now, the problem is that if not parliamentary democracy, if there is a state, if there is no parliamentary democracy, then you can only have dictatorship. So Gandhi's point is that that is the problem. State is the problem. If you remove state, then there is no question of dictatorship or parliamentary democracy. Now, you have direct democracies in small uh, enclaves what you have direct democracies. So, state is the culprit. State is the culprit and state is what supporting techno-science and techno-science is using its power to generate most obnoxious weaponry and it is uh, because there is no ethics guiding it, it's just destroying us.
0: In, in the is. name of in the name of progress, even
1: in the name of in the name of progress, in the name of truth, in the name of truth, we in are trying to truth. discover how reality is. That is the that is what Gandhi was objecting. There is no final reality for Gandhi. There is no final reality. There is no point in looking for a final reality. All what is required lead a life within. An ethical frame of framework, then you'll be empowering people. We are also generating freedoms. What we required is freedoms, not economic progress. Economic progress are subsidiary. In order to, in order to back freedoms, you perhaps need economic development, certain extent. And science also, certain extent we require not to replace human labor. There is no point in replacing human labor and uh, robots taking over. And uh, all that happens only when you lead a life outside ethical, ethical frame, ethical framework. That is Gandhi's, uh, Gandhi's critique of modernity and science, technology and state.
0: So I had uh, I had planned to discuss some of his um, activism, uh, but I don't I don't think we need to. First of all, I, I don't intend to for this to be my last episode about Gandhi. I will certainly cover him more. But otherwise, I would say, since the goal of this was to teach listeners to share Gandhi's um, anarchist vision and legacy with the listeners, I I would say you have gone far beyond anything I imagined. This, is, this has been wonderful. All that's left for me to ask is if there's anything else you would like to add, because I, I, feel, in, I feel enlightened. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah.
0: One, w- wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, there you have it. You can go to everydayanarchism.com to find more about the show and the series Anarchism 101. I hope, like me, your understanding of both Gandhi and anarchism have been profoundly changed. Or even better, if you already knew this stuff, in which case you are way ahead of me. Remember, you can also go to everydayanarchism.com to support the show financially. And you can always support the show just by telling a friend or getting the word out another way, like sharing it on social media or leaving a ratings on Apple or Spotify podcasts. All that's left to say is that the music, which you're about to hear, is by David Hill.